The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Wednesday, May the 6th. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We'll have mailbags coming up as we head into the offseason. So if you have questions about your team, what they did this offseason, what their hopes and dreams could be, uh, or maybe a specific player, or just, just some weird question about what the Super Friends would do on an island, uh, feel free to drop us a line and do that via a five-star review we love the five-star reviews um we love you you guys are great and we love your friends you love your friends so why don't you tell a friend about the podcast just one friend just pick a random friend who likes the nfl likes football likes mirth and hijinks and tell them about this podcast and that way we will organically grow uh and we can plug that into our slideshow at the end of the year when we present it to our bosses coming up we will talk top 10 nfl offenses following the draft um, you can also go and check out an early awards odds uh, podcast with RJ White. Some great picks, sleeper picks. Um, I actually put some wages in myself on some long shots um, and, and some shorter odd guys. I, I think now is a good time to get value on them um, because they're not going to shrink the way, like they're not going to move quite the way they would if we had off-season training activities. Um, and you can sort of get uh, maybe a little bit more value that way. We also have a fantastic podcast, Remembering Don Shula with Pete Prisco and Jamie Eisenberg. And uh, on Thursday night, the NFL will, tomorrow night, the NFL will drop the schedule on us, the full 2020 NFL schedule, and we will react to it immediately Hope to have that in your feed around midnight. We're also still doing, of course, our CBS Sports HQ show, 4 to 5 Eastern. We will have a, um, a tentatively a pre-schedule program and a post-schedule program is what I'm being told. And you can watch us on CBS Sports HQ, our 24-7 streaming sports network, which you can get for free on the CBS Sports app. And now... Also on Pluto TV. If you don't have the Pluto TV app, what are you doing with your life? Uh, we are uh, channel 459 on Pluto TV. It's the future of television. You can go to Pluto and check out uh, the comedy the comedy uh, channel. They have a Western channel. They have a James Bond channel. They have horror films, MTV dating, all kinds of stuff. RuPaul. They have an entire channel dedicated to RuPaul's Drag Race. It's my wife's favorite show. I dropped that on her recently, and it blew her mind. So go get the Pluto. There's a Baywatch channel, by the way, too. 
Um, so if you're into that thing, go get the Pluto TV app and watch CBS Sports HQ that way. One more thing to promo. You're dying. Uh, you need some real sports, right? You want to bet on something. You're itching to bet on something other than, you know, NFL futures. Well, you can bet on UFC 249 in the state of combat with Brian Campbell. That podcast has a preview episode out now to get you ready for all the fights. UFC Hall of Famer Rashad Evans joins BC for expert picks to win you cash. Sure, you can get tips from Twitter strangers and bet on Russian ping pong, but why not increase your odds and listen? Whoever wrote this singled me out. And listen to these guys who know all things MMA. After the fight, State of Combat will have an immediate reaction podcast, just like us. Download and subscribe to the State of, Co- State of Combat podcast wherever you find this one. Now to the actual show. Man, uh, Jared Dubin joining us to talk about top 10 NFL offenses. I have, I think it was Mina Kimes who tweeted it, Dubes, but it's like, uh, every podcast, is, there's something, she tweeted something about like, if you run, if you do a podcast, you basically have to round, you have to like talk for like four minutes leading up to the actual show. Thank you for sitting through all that. Uh, yes, no problem. Happy to sit through as much as you need me to. But before we get started here, I just want to issue a, Belated congratulations to Pluto on getting upgraded from a planet to a TV channel. It's really big news for everybody over there. <laughs> I like the idea that we bought Viacom, bought a planet and turned it into a TV channel. That I'm gonna I'm gonna run with that story. Uh, speaking of Pluto, which is uh, old as dirt, you know what else is old as dirt? Frank Gore and the uh, inconvenient truth. Your man's out of Miami who tore his ACL twice in college and still is running at the age of 37, has signed with the New York Jets. Um, he is now uh, two. He has a two for two on Adam Gase AFC East teams and three of four on all AFC East teams. Uh, how how much does a Frank Gore to the Jets signing uh, move, move the needle for you, Dubes, uh, uh, understanding that you are uh, slightly biased towards Gore because of his college choice? Yeah, I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, it's probably a 14. Um, you know, first of all, how dare you? Frank, Dirt, Frank Gore is not as old as Dirt. He's older than Dirt. Um, who would have thought, by the way, that out of Frank Gore, Willis McGahee, and Clinton Bordis, Frank Gore would be in the league the longest by, like, almost a decade, you know, yeah. when he was the one who tore both of his ACLs in college. They both overtook him, both entered the NFL before he did. And, you know, he he's he hasn't gotten hurt in, like, 10 years. I can't remember the last time he missed a game and the dude just keeps on, keeps on going. It's, it's incredible. I'm, I'm really happy for him. Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool. I think he is a, to, in my mind, I know, um, some people say he's not a Hall of Famer. Uh, I firmly believe that he is. And, you know, whatever. If you don't want to, if you don't want to get on board that bandwagon, that's fine. I, I don't think you'll have a choice because he's probably going to end up getting in. I will say this, um, given what, given how, the Bills used Frank Gore last year and how Adam Gase has used Frank Gore in the past. I will be steering clear of Le'Veon Bell in fantasy. Uh, I was probably going to get him as if he was like a decent value in like the early third, maybe late second. Now I, I have no interest because I think Gore will take away some fairly valuable carries from him. Yeah, I also just feel like Adam Gase could not have more clearly communicated over the last year or so that he is not really interested in centering his offense around Le'Veon Bell. I mean, there was the reports last year that came out and basically said he just didn't even want to sign him. Then last year, like, obviously they, they had to center the offense around him for a little while while Darnold was out and they were using quarterbacks who, honestly, I don't even remember half of their names. So they 
basically had to give Bell the ball all the time. But, you know, once they brought Donald back, it was not quite as uh, Bell-centric offense. And now they bring in uh, a running back. I believe they drafted a running back, LaMichael Ryan, right? And now they signed yeah. Frank Gore. So, yeah, um, it's not been pretty clear. Yeah, it's they made it they made it extremely clear. All right, um, we you have a story out in on CBSSports.com. It is the top ten offenses post draft. You can check out the uh, if you're if you're listening to the podcast, you can get the link in the description as well. Dubes, can you sort of walk us through your system for determining um, exactly how you would rate out these offenses? Because it's not just like you know you're not some lazy sack like Sean Wagner McGuff and just, you know, <laughs> go through the standings, just pick out 10 teams and then rank them. You actually have a system here. Yeah. Um, I, for what it's worth, I believe the story is going up tomorrow, going up Thursday morning. Oh, oh. So. No, defenses is Thursday. Offenses is Wednesday. It's up today. Oh, okay. Well, then I got to get to writing. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah. So. Basically, the idea here is we did this for when we ranked offensive infrastructures before the draft, where we graded each of the league's 32 teams in five different categories, quarterback, play caller, offensive line, pass catchers, and running backs. We graded them from one to five in each category and then used a weighting system so that quarterbacks were the most important and running backs were the least important because that's the way NFL offenses actually work. And it's the composite score of those grades that lead us to, you know, the ranking of the offenses. So, you know, for example, Washington is in 32nd place right now because, you know, they've got a quarterback who did not look all that good in his rookie season. They've got a a play caller who doesn't have all that much experience in Scott Turner. They have a, a pretty weak wide receiver core. They have, you know, Adrian Peterson, who was fine last year, and Antonio Gibson, who we don't really know much about at running back, and then their offensive line is kind of average, assuming they can maintain health, which almost never happens. So, you know, you combine all those things, and they wound up with the worst offense in the league right now, and then we sort of count up from there. Mm, I like it. Okay, let's uh, let's dive into it then, shall we? Uh, your number 10, uh, a somewhat surprising team, I feel like, the Tennessee Titans, the number 10 offense in the NFL following the draft. Yeah, um, the, the thing there is it, it sort of depends how real you think that Ryan Tannehill performance was last year. Um, certainly he was considerably above average last season. He was one of the best quarterbacks in the league from the time he took over. Granted, not on a, you know, huge amount of volume, but he was just so efficient on a per play basis and overall. I mean, I don't expect that to necessarily continue, but I think based on the way they run their offense and his fit in the system and his fit, you know, with guys like AJ Brown, Chris Davis, you know, John U. Smith being a, a more athletic option at tight end than Delaney Walker, plus just the way their offensive line works, they, they scored really well in, in offensive line, in play caller, in, and then in running back too. Basically, the only real relative weakness they have is with their pass catchers. And even there, you know, A.J. Brown can provide some upside for them. Jonu Smith can provide some upside for them. You know, last year, I think they were one of the four or five most efficient offenses in the league. And that was despite, you know, a really, really poor start 
where Marcus Mariota dragged down the performance of their offense. You know, I think we can assume at least a little bit of aggression this year, of regression this year. And, uh, and they'll still be, I think, a, a good offense. I don't know if I necessarily would have them top 10, but I did give them the benefit of the doubt in this sort of waiting system. But I think out of the teams in the top 10, there's probably the best chance that the Titans don't get in there and one of the other teams right behind them jumps in. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would be, I, I did like that, you know, it's sort of a need, a needish pick, but, um, they drafted Isaiah Wilson, uh, who played at Georgia on the right side. I mean, that's a plug and play option in theory for Jack Conklin. Like, I, you know, you don't expect him to immediately be an all pro, but Jack Conklin was an all pro as a rookie. So who, you never know if the, if the, if the running game is good. And Georgia ran the ball a ton. So he shouldn't have a ton of transition there. I, I mean, what concerns you more that we might see a drop off in efficiency from Tannehill or that Derrick Henry, uh, you know, was up in the, you know, close to 400 touches, over 400 touches, including the playoffs? I think both, you know, like the idea of Henry holding up to a similar workload again, it's just not that likely. I mean, you don't, you don't see guys getting that many touches in a season all that often. And, and I think it's not just the touch workload, but also, I mean, Henry too, sort of in the first few games when Mariota was starting really wasn't very good. And then all of a sudden Tannehill comes in and he's averaging like five and a half yards per carry. If that, if that performance down the stretch that he had last year leads them to run a similarly run heavy offense, I think that's actually the most likely thing to lead them to a drop off in efficiency, just because you're not likely to maintain that level of efficiency with such a run heavy offense. I mean, they're not the Ravens, you know, it's, it's based on a running back running through guys all over the place and not necessarily on, you know, creating numbers advantages and things like that, like Baltimore was last year. And I don't think that's quite as sustainable. Yeah. Um, I, I would, uh, I would say too, that one of the things that sort of worries me for Tennessee, and this might not worry me for their, their ranking as a, as a top offense, but it worries me at least for uh, their efficiency is if the Dean P's retired, if we see a drop off on that defense at all, because he's not there and, and they have the personnel, they, I mean, they shouldn't be terrible or anything, but like if we do see a drop off on the defense, that would potentially force Ryan Tannehill to throw a lot more, which in turn would, you know, you know, in theory, the, the, like if they don't have a bunch of positive game scripts, I think it's going to be harder to be that run heavy offense that they were down the stretch. Oh, for sure. Like if you're forced into passing rather than passing by choice, you're almost always going to be less efficient i mean that's just sort of the way it works yep uh number nine we're sticking in the division indianapolis colts what an insult to philip rivers to have the uh, colts at number nine how dare you get off my podcast i uh i think i gave rivers the benefit of the doubt giving him an above average grade considering his performance <laughs> last year yeah anthony Lynn stinks yeah i mean that offense was uh was not great they uh for some reason tried to Make it a Melvin Gordon centric offense once Gordon came back, despite it was, the fact it was that good. it was good out of the gates. Well, I mean, he was just getting a ton of volume. I don't know that it was necessarily good once he came back. It was good when they were centering it around, you know, quick rivers passes to Austin Eckler and Keenan Allen early in the season. Then they started forcing the ball to Melvin Gordon and it, it wasn't that great. You know, I, I do think that his transition to a new team might be a little bit easier than some other guys because he already has familiarity with Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni. So that sort of works in their favor. Um, plus he's just going to have, you know, significantly better pass protection 
in Indianapolis than he's had for the last few years in L.A. Um, you, you know, you couple that, basically better pass protection, uh, better play caller in Reich and Sirianni, and then I think that they did a decent enough job upgrading the weapons from what they had last year, you know, landing Michael Pittman. They should hopefully have Paris Campbell not injured all year this year. And then, you know, as much as I think it probably wasn't a very good value pick, uh, Jonathan Taylor is certainly going to upgrade, you know, their, their running back room. Not that that necessarily has all that much of an effect on offensive performance, just because the offensive line really dictates how good of a running back can be more often than not. But, Having a better player back there, I think, should help at least. I, I mean, look, I, I get that the that we are staunchly anti um, running back using an early pick on a running back. I don't mind using a second round pick on a running back. Like, I, I know it's an early pick and it was a deep draft, but like, these are good running backs that we're talking about. And when you look at what happened with the Colts last year, they really started to struggle when Marlon Mack was out. They just didn't have a, a running back who could, you know, who could do what they needed to do behind that line, especially with Jacoby Brissett. And I think with Taylor there, A, the reason you use a second-round pick on him is because he's replacing the guy who would, in theory, Marlon Mack, get paid next year. Um, and that it's smart. They're not going to pay Marlon Mack. They're going to use Jonathan Taylor and cut Marlon Mack loose, I, I would hope. Um, and and then, like, B, the idea that Rivers, Philip Rivers now, to me, he can be so much more efficient when you don't, like when he's not forced to pass. And I think so much of what the Chargers were last year was, let's try and run, run, run with Melvin Gordon. It doesn't work because our line stinks. And now Rivers has to pass a ton. And Rivers, just like Jameis Winston, uh, when he is forced to pass a ton while playing from behind, just like any quarterback, you know, he, he's going to make, he's going to force some balls into coverage. And I, I just think that if he has a good running game, which he hasn't, you know, like I think if he has a good running game in Indianapolis, this offense can, can really take off. Yeah, I mean, I would say in theory it makes sense, and the idea that they're going to replace Mac with Taylor after this year certainly makes sense too. I think that if you're going to take a running back, it's probably better to take one who's good at catching passes. And you know, while Taylor did yeah. improve his pass catching last season, he's not. Um, yeah. yeah, he's not great. He had nine drops on 50 targets in college. That's really, really bad. The, the, and, the Badger, the Badgers made a concerted effort to to give him more passing, passing, pass catching attempts last year because, I mean, Paul Chris has talked about this. Like he wanted to, um, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to make sure that Taylor had that, you know, a little bit of that in his repertoire coming to the pros. Um, but certainly he does need to improve. Yeah. I mean, look, he's, he's a good fit, I think, for their system because of his size and agility and he's a good fit behind that offensive line. But I, it's it's a situation where it wasn't necessarily an obvious need, and they did it early enough that you would have liked to see someone who was a little bit different than Mac. You know, like for example, they had Naeem Hines as their sort of pass catching back. I mean, Mac's not really a big pass catcher either, so now you have two backs in there that aren't necessarily huge contributors in the passing game. Like if they had wound up with, you know, just as an example, DeAndre Swift, who was considered a much better pass catching running back i think that would have made more sense for them than taylor granted i believe swift was off the board so that wasn't really a possibility but it, it's 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 worth it to get a running back who is good it's more worth it to get a running back who is a contributor in the passing game if that makes sense sure yeah i think that when taylor came off and i'm checking this now but i think 
that it was Taylor and Dobbins because the Colts took Pittman at 34 and then Taylor at 41. Right. And, and Swift, Swift went 35, to, I think. Yeah. Swift had gone to 35. So they, yeah, they could have taken, um, uh, they could have taken him or, or Pittman. That's the other thing that doesn't bother me about or Cam Akers, um, about those picks is that the, the, you saw the, the Packers basically get stuck with AJ Dillon because they were on the, the wrong end of a running back run and they wanted to get a running back. I, I think maybe there was some intel out there that, that teams in the second round were going to take running backs. And I, I, I'm not, I mean, I get it. The analytics say don't take a running back early, but I, I just don't, I don't mind the investment. Uh, one team that, has, uh, you know, did not take a running back early and, uh, has, you know, relied on later round running backs. Although Le'Veon Bell was a second round, second round pick. Uh, James Conner later, Benny Snell, um, and, uh, Jalen Samuels. The Pittsburgh Steelers check in at number eight. Uh, where would you have them if you were a hundred percent confident that Big Ben was healthy? I think this is the 100% confident that Big Ben is healthy version. Um, I don't know that we'll see ever the, you know, 20, what was it like 2013, 2014 era, Ben, when he was throwing for like almost 5,000 yards. Like, I don't know that we'll ever see that again, you know, especially just because like they don't have Antonio Brown anymore. And that dude was arguably the best receiver in the league for like five years, you know? Um, so I, I mean, I don't, I don't think we'll see necessarily that level and granted, he did throw for 5,000 yards two years ago. Completely forgot about that. But that was on uh, considerably more volume. He threw 675 passes in 2018. I don't think we'll see that again either. Um, wow, I can't believe but, that his arm fell apart last year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, look, the, the Steelers always have a good offensive line. I think that, you know, James Conner and uh, Jalen Samuels and Benny Snell is a pretty decent running back core. And the, the good thing there is against, you know, Samuels is basically an ace back. Connor is a good contributor in the passing game. So they have the versatility there. You know, their, their wide receivers sort of came on down the stretch of last season, looked a little bit better than they did early on in the year. You know, plus uh, they added Eric Ebron in free agency to upgrade that tight end room, which was a bit of a problem last season. And then Chase Claypool, they added in the draft, who was just a freak of an athlete and enormous. And, you know, anytime you can add two really athletic guys to draw at least some attention away from Juju Smith-Schuster in the slot, I think that's going to help them, too. Um, you know, a top 10 offense feels right for them. Okay. I'm fine with that. Um, I actually, I also like the idea that uh, that Claypool comes in and shifts Juju to the slot, which I think mm-hmm. is something they've talked about. And where Juju does a lot better work. Um, I don't, I don't think it'd be full time there, but you know, certainly can help. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, number seven, fascinating team because it's Bruce Arians, it's Tom Brady, and I don't think anyone can truly know what the offense will look like, right? Yeah, I, I'm very interested to see what it, uh, for what it's worth. They're tied with the number six team here, so they're not necessarily behind the next team on our list, but we'll talk about them separately. Um, you know the. Obviously, they have Brady. Obviously, they have Arians. It's not necessarily based on what we know of, you know, Brady's skill set and the way Arians likes to run his offense. It's not a clean fit. Like, he's a much cleaner fit for the the offense that Josh McDaniels has been running in New England over the years. But the weaponry that he has now in Tampa, I mean, 
It's probably the best pass-catching core in the league. I think you can make an argument mm. for a couple other teams that we'll get to later. But, I mean, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin is the best one-two, certainly, in in the wide receivers. They, I liked how they upgraded that number three receiver slot with uh, Tyler Johnson in the middle rounds. I think if he was healthy, he probably would have gone earlier in the draft. And then, you know, not only do they have O.J. Howard, they have Cameron Brait. They drafted a tight end as well. They added a bit more of a versatile running back in Keyshawn Vaughn because they don't like the way Robert Jones pass protects. And then, you know, they solved their biggest issue in the draft, too, when they got Tristan Wirfs at number 13. He was a guy who, you know, plenty of people thought might go to the Giants at number four, and they wound up, you know, they wound up trading up to get him, but they didn't give up that much to do it. Um, and they got him at number 13. Well, I mean, if I... People are giving, like, I don't mind the trade up because you, look, you got your guy. That's what matters. They gave him a fourth round pick to move up one spot. I mean, it's not, not. Right, but they, they got a a seventh back in the deal too. That's that's true. Yeah. So it's not quite giving up a fourth. It's more like giving up a late fifth or early sixth. Okay. Which, you know, granted, not necessarily that great either, but they, again, made sure they got their guy. If the 49ers trade out of that spot and like, uh, I don't know, um, the, the Pats or whoever come up and grab, you know, Worfs. Like, so if somebody jumps up and grabs Worfs and snakes you and you don't get one of those four guys, plus, it, like, in the Peter King story from Jason Light's virtual draft room, he was trying to trade with everybody and nobody would trade. He was sort of freaking <laughs> out. So I think he, like, it was kind of like, look, F it. I am paying the, like, I don't care. I'm getting that. I'm getting one of the four guys. I'm getting him right now. Yeah, right. Like, four picks later or whatever, Miami wound up taking Austin Jackson. Yeah, that if was. They, if they had moved up there. Then all of a sudden you're sitting there thinking like, do we want to take Austin Jackson? Do we want to take Isaiah Wilson? Do we want to take, you know, Jonathan Jones ended up, uh, dropping Josh all the Jones. way. Josh Jones, sorry, Jonathan Jones. Uh, Josh Jones ended up dropping all the way to the third round, but he was a guy who was considered a possible first rounder too. You know, he's not necessarily, you know, quite as solid of a bet in people's view as they needed, is. they needed to get one of the four guys who, right. who had experience, like who you, you believed could play for you. And be productive over the first two years with Brady. What do you think it'll be? Do you, how, how do you think Brady will distribute amongst his various targets? Yeah. I mean, I, I think Godwin is going to be his top guy just because he's more likely than Evans to work in the slot, which means he's going to be the guy getting a lot of the, you know, site adjustment hot route type of passes just because that's where they go. You know, he's going to be the guy who, if he wants to audible to a quick out, audible to a quick slant, it's going to be more often to the guy in the slot than to the guy on the outside. So that, to me, screams Godwin. Um, Evans, I think it's interesting because when he has had big-bodied, you know, deep-threat wide receivers in the past, he's been willing to throw it up to them, but he hadn't really had that guy in New England for a while. So it'll be interesting to see if he's willing to sort of throw it up there and let Evans go get it. Okay. Um, man, I, I am, I am fascinated to see how this offense looks. I, I don't think Bruce Arians is dumb enough to make Tom Brady take seven step drops and chuck it deep. I also think Tom Brady's a better deep ball passer than his numbers, especially last year, you know, or, you know, the, the, then I think the general perception and his numbers last year would give him credit for because, you know, he just didn't have any weapons who could get open deep and now he has weapons. Oh, for sure. And like not not just on the outside, too. Like, O.J. Howard, his whole thing when he came in was supposed to be that he was going to be a tight end that threatened the field vertically. Obviously, he's not really lived up 
to expectations just yet. But I mean, if anybody's going to make a you know a vertical tight end look good on those seam routes and post routes over the middle, I mean that's where Brady lived for years with Rob Gronkowski. And Gronk, of course, is back with the fold. I mean, I, one to ten scale of one to ten, what do you think his impact is, Gronk? I completely forgot about Gronk. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, what, do I, what if he? I mean, look, who? I mean, who? It could be a one, but it could be a ten too. Like Gronk could, like I have no problem believing that Gronk could be a great run blocker who leaks out up the seam every now and then and plays fifty percent of the snaps uh, with OJ Howard sort of mimicking what he does, and then Cameron Brait being a more of an an inline guy, like you know, less of an inline guy, and like more of a you know, a, a fourth receiver or whatever it is. Like, I don't, I don't have a problem believing that Gronk can have a major impact with this team. Yeah, I think that he can have a major impact. He can have minimal impact. Like, so much of it just depends. Like, how healthy is this dude? Yeah. How in shape is this dude? Like, is he still the, whatever it was, like two hundred and twenty-five pounds or whatever he dropped down to, or is he back up to two fifty-five, two sixty-five in that range? You know, is he going to be counted on, like you said, as a blocker? Because I, th- I think that their offensive line, while improved, still is probably going to need some help. Um, just Brady is not a guy that you want to force to have to buy time. Gronk, obviously, arguably the best blocking tight end like ever. So. He's he's good in the run game, good in the, good in the pass game. When you keep him in to protect, it's I'm not sold that he's going to be you know like a ten out of ten type guy. But if they can get a five or six out of ten, I think that's still really good as you know a, a partner with OJ Howard or a partner with Cam Brate, and those two guys will allow them to limit his snap load to keep him healthy. He doesn't have to be on the field 100 percent of the snaps. Yep, no doubt about it. All right, uh, the. Philadelphia Eagles are the team that tied with the Buccaneers, uh, because Debo is, uh, is on, <laughs> because Debo runs this podcast and, uh, is the puppet master here. Naturally, the Eagles slot in, quote unquote, ahead of the Buccaneers. Um, what do you, what do you think about, so I, uh, I think the Eagles who ran more 12 personnel than anybody last year are going all in on 12 personnel. Where Ertz and Goddard are on the field almost all the time, like like I'm talking, like they're going to run like 75% 12 personnel, and then they have Jalen Rager and Marquise Goodwin and the and um, the other young guys that they drafted, like just running vert routes and giving Carson Wentz this opportunity to read. Uh, if Deshaun Jackson's still there, yeah, I mean, giving him an opportunity to, get, to read high to low, and if those guys get open deep, he's going to bomb it. If not, he's going to look for his tight ends underneath. Uh, running some creative stuff from Doug Peterson. Does that sound like a reasonable formula or idea? Yeah, I think that certainly a lot of 12 personnel sounds reasonable. 75%, I think, is a bit much. I don't know if we'll ever see a team go that high. Well, they, were like, <laughs> they were like 58% last year, though. Yeah, I think that's sort of a ceiling, though. They were that high because they basically had no wide receivers Fair. in the second half of the season, you know? And look, uh, Jalen Rager was not the next wide receiver on my board at that spot, I thought Justin Jefferson was a, you know, a more complete receiver just in terms of the way he can threaten guys out of the slot and on shorter possession type routes. But I mean, they're pretty open. The thing they were looking for was the deep burner type guy who can add that speed element to their offense. We saw what happened to the offense last season when Deshaun Jackson was out. They had nobody they could take off the top of the defense. Defenses just, you know, sat so many more guys in the box, clogged up Wentz's throwing lanes, basically made it so you could only throw to Nelson Aguilar, who was dropping the ball all over the place. Um, I think that 
adding Rager, adding Goodwin will allow them to, you know, just like with, with Gronk and OJ Howard and Cameron Bray, it'll allow them to limit Deshaun Jackson's workload. He doesn't have to be a 70, 80, 90% percent snap guy. He can be a 40 or 50% snap guy. You send him deep five, six times a game, you know, get him some smoke screens, things like that, where he can, you know, use his speed to beat guys in the open field. You know, now they have other guys who are able to do that too, instead of just the one. So that, element of their offense which was missing for all of last season should be there you know I, I think Miles Sanders looked like a really good contributor in the passing game too last year and then I mean they always have a good offensive line you know even with no Jason Smith this year Jason or Peters. Jason Peters Jason Peters this year uh Andre Dillard I thought looked pretty good when he you stepped don't into, want Jason Smith you don't want no 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 you don't want Jason Smith it, Andre Dillard I thought looked pretty good when he stepped into the lineup Last season, obviously, they had Kelsey Brooks up the middle, Lane Johnson on the right. I think it's one of the best offensive lines in the league every year. Uh, Doug Peterson, obviously, a good play caller. Um, they're a little bit run-heavy on early downs, for my liking. It would do them better to, to open up, use play action, especially if they're going to be in that 12 personnel, and they can get mismatches with Ertz or Goddard against linebackers or safeties. Both of those guys are so big and so athletic that it should really work well for them. And then, you know, Carson Wentz, if he can stay healthy – is a consistently above-average quarterback with a ceiling of MVP candidate. Yeah, I think that Carson Wentz, we talked about with R.J. White on the MVP podcast, or the the uh, on the, uh, the the awards uh, betting podcast, I think Carson Wentz is a nice little wager at like 25 to 1. And by, by naturally, Debo well actually me on the percentage here, 54% last year out of 12, but by far and away the most. And the two wide receivers, less, Debo didn't tell me this, but less, I uh, shortchanged him. John, How- John Hightower and Quez Watkins, uh, Hightower, a fifth-round pick, and Watkins, a sixth-round pick. You know, not expecting them to come in and be impact guys, but they're both speed guys. They added a, they are a much faster wide and deeper wide receiver core this, right now than they were uh, certainly a few months ago. Uh, all right, we got to take a break. When we come back, Dubin's top five offenses, including a shocker. Well, actually, it's not really a shocker. A shocker at number three. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I don't know why I said a shocker. It wouldn't even, it's not even that surprising when we get to number three. But um, maybe the tie would be surprising. Uh, anyway, before we get to the tie at three, we'll get to number five, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, they added – I thought the 49ers had just a fantastic draft. They didn't have a ton of picks. They managed to come out of it by adding more, by getting, uh, dumping Marquise Goodwin to the Eagles, by dumping Matt Breida to the Dolphins. I like both those players, but they needed picks. They needed to shed some payroll. They did just that. And more importantly, 
dudes. They got Trent Williams to replace Joe Staley, which, you know, I mean, look, he's been out of football for a year, but he's still in his prime. And is if he's if he's healthy for the full season, I mean, that offensive line might be even better than it was last year. Yeah, and that was already arguably the best offensive line in the league last season, and that was even true after they lost their center in the middle of the season and just sort of replaced him on the fly. And just everything about the way this offense works is so good. Kyle Shanahan is, you know, an offensive genius, one of the three or four best play callers and offensive designers in the league. I wrote about their run game before the Super Bowl and just the way it's all based on misdirection and confusion and everything working in concert with each other. And, you know, they were able to make running the ball a more efficient proposition than it is when most teams throw the ball. And when you're able to do that and then you mix in play action with it, I mean, it's just incredibly hard to stop a team that's like that. You know, obviously their defense was sort of the the core of what brought them to the Super Bowl last year. They still had the seventh most efficient offense in the league by DVOA last season, too. And they could get better now that they've improved their pass catching core, too. Yeah. And uh, to me, I think that... Brandon Ayuk, who operates in space really well, can you know can move all around. As Kyle Shanahan points out, they were going to take him at thirteen. I I traded up in our dynasty draft back into the first round to grab Ayuk after I grabbed Henry Ruggs with the eighth pick. And uh, man, I I think Ayuk could be a really big impact player in this offense right away. He makes a lot of sense for what they like to do with their wide receivers, just in terms of his ability to, you know, snatch the ball and make hay after the catch. You know, you add him to Debo Samuel, one of the best yak receivers in the league, George Kittle, the best yak tight end in the league. And then, I mean, they also have Jalen Hurd coming back this year who missed all of last season. What was that? I said, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. And uh, he's sort of like a hybrid receiver tight end type that can you know move all around the formation for them and just with the way they're willing to you know mix up where they line guys up mix up who they send in motion you know do different kinds of things off of you know fakes and reverses and you know three guys touching the ball on a given play like they're going to be able to get even more creative than they were last season and they still have Raheem Mostert Tevin Coleman you know if Jarek McKinnon is able to come back healthy this year um, Jeff Wilson who was sort of their goal line guy last season they have plenty of guys able to run the ball and there's just no pressure on Garoppolo to do any more than he absolutely needs to do and Shanahan schemes him into so many wide open throws anyway I mean it's, it's just an offense that's really well set up for success because they have a play caller who is exactly what he's doing and skill guys who are a perfect fit and an offensive line that's one of the best in the league would it shock you if the, if the 49ers finished with the best offense in football uh yes just because of the teams that are in front of them or just like <laughs> You know, it's. I mean, is it, is so it more good. about the team? Is it more about the teams or more about Garoppolo? A combination of both. Like, I, I don't see a world necessarily where Garoppolo throws for like forty-five hundred yards and thirty-five touchdowns. Like, I don't see any world where that happens. And I think to be the best offense in the league, you probably have to be more based around the pass and the run, which I don't know is necessarily going to be the case for the Forty ers just because, like. Let's be honest, that's not what Shanahan wants to do. That's not the strength of the team. But, I mean, their pass offense is so efficient when they do throw it, and the way that they scheme their run game is just so much different and so much better than everybody else that they're able to make it more efficient than most teams' passing offenses. Okay. Uh, At Tide, at number three, we have the – oh, see, this is – see, Debo, a slap in your face. A slap in the face of our guest, Debo. You know you did it on purpose. You know he's a Cowboys fan, and you rank the Cowboys as the bottom 
tie three team. If I can speak uh, real quick, I am going off Jared's chart, mm, um, which I like was story. in inverse yeah. order. So, you know, I, I would typically do that, slot the Eagles ahead of the Cowboys, but I will say it is based on the chart as well. Yeah. It's based on the order of how I did the tiebreakers, um, and the the uh, the Saints wound up in front because I gave Sean Payton a better grade as a play caller than Kellen Moore. Oh, okay, that's that's a that's a fair point, and I would take the Saints over the Cowboys anyway. I think mainly because we talked to Brett Hundley of the Arizona Cardinals, who has played under Mike McCarthy as a backup, and he's he made it clear that he thinks it will be very very difficult for this team and Dak Prescott, it, given the situation with coronavirus and with Dak's contract, to really be efficient out of the gates with this offense. So I would be a little worried about the Cowboys just because they don't have Dak signed. It's going to be a weird offseason. Everybody's going to pick up Mike McCarthy's uh, playbook. How big of a concern is that for you? I think it's a little bit overblown if we're going to say that it's a reason to, you know, be suspicious of the offense just because, you know, he's already said, like, they're going to keep the terminology at least the same from, you know, when Kellen Moore was calling the plays last year, which means it's going to be the same terminology that Dax used his entire career. It's going to be more about the implementation and the execution. So from that sense, um, it shouldn't be quite as different than if they were learning everything new wholesale. Um, it's also just, I mean, everybody's got to learn new stuff every offseason. Granted, you know, there's not a real offseason program for basically anybody. And we don't know, you know, how involved Dak even is and what is left of the offseason program because the Cowboys made a mistake not paying him last year and don't want to be seen as having gotten rolled over in the negotiations. And that's why they're not paying him exactly what he wants now. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's so much talent on the offense that they should be able to overcome any sort of bumps that they might have, you know, I think it's going to be a really good offense. Um, I think that they're just their overall philosophy should be better under McCarthy than it was under Jason Garrett, who basically his idea was we're going to, you know, establish the run and we're going to out execute you. And that's how we're going to win. And that's just, you know, it's a philosophy that's based in the early 1990s when he was a player. It's not what works anymore. You have to be, you know, a, a pass based offense and use motion, use play action, use matchups, use, you know, space to get your guys, you know, into position to succeed. You know, everything about that is what Mike McCarthy did, at least during the early portion of his tenure in Green Bay. It got a little bit stale over the last few years as they were doing just a lot of like isolation routes on the outside with Jordy Nelson and things like that. You know, from everything he's said, at least, it seems like he learned a lot during his year away. Granted, that's basically what you have to say if you want to get a job in the NFL at this point. You can't just be like, yeah, we're going to run the ball and stop the run and out-execute guys. Like, that's just not what gets you a job anymore. You have to talk about, you know, analytics, and you have to talk about centering your offense around the quarterback and things like that. And he did that. He got the job. Certainly, they they followed up on that kind of a plan with taking CeeDee Lamb in the first round, despite the fact that wide receiver wasn't probably you know, how, in the top two. How surprised are you that the Cowboys are not doing stupid things? Um, on a scale of one to Jason Garrett, I am very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, re like really, like the CeeDee Lamb pick was not, you know, I mean, it wasn't like you, you don't uh, you, I didn't expect him to take him. I know. I mean, he, I was surprised he was there. Jerry's grinning his ass off in, the, in his yacht. <laughs> 
And I was like, I mean, like, so at one point it was like, all right, it just has to be Lamb. Like, that's the only thing he'd be smiling about this much for. But like, that's not something I expected to see them do to, to sit back, to sit there at 17 and to take what came to them and build on a strength. Now it makes sense if you look at Amari Cooper's contract, but then like the Andy Dalton thing was smart. I, I don't know. The Cowboys are operating like an intelligent franchise for the first time in what feels like a long time. And maybe it's the absence of Jason Garrett. Yeah, I mean, look, if they didn't give their running back $90 million last year, I would be, like, on cloud nine right now. Um, also, pay, I don't, pay, I don't, pay Dak. Let's pay Dak already. Yeah, they, they decided last offseason when they had their quarterback, their wide receiver one, their uh, right tackle, right. their inside linebacker, and their cornerback all up for contract extensions that they were going to pay the three guys that play the least valuable positions and not pay the other three guys. Um, that uh, was not great. Yeah, not ideal. Um, okay. Let's go to the New Orleans Saints because as just, you mentioned. Just, just quickly before we, um, let go on the Cowboys, I just think, you know, they added much more speed and athleticism this year. You know, the CD Lamb over Randall Cobb and then Blake Jarwin, who was just better than, uh, than Jason Witten last season, especially once Jason Witten, like, caught a case of the dropsies in the second half of the season. You know, you add those two guys to replace the two that they replaced, and I think if they if they can get Tony Pollard more involved when they mm-hmm. throw the ball to the running back in the pass game, I mean, he's just so much better at making guys miss than Zeke is. I mean, he was number one in the league in elusive rating at Pro Football Focus last year. Uh, out of 50 qualifiers at running back, he's just a guy that should really be able to add more to their offense, too, and just... They're just going to be able to maximize space better than they did last season, or at least they should be able to do that. Could this offense be the number one offense in the league? In theory, but my, my, I mean, my, my bet would be on the either of the top two before. Right. Like, if you gave me the top two against the field, I would take the top two. All uh, right, what, if I, what if I gave you Cowboys ten to one as the number one offense in the NFL? Ten to one's not bad. Like, I think that's a halfway decent bet. Might I mean, I. I I'm just, I mean, Mike McCarthy's had two, he's, he's never had the number one offense in yards, which is how technically it would, it would be measured. He has had the number one offense twice in points. The number two offense once in yards and number three, 2011 was the number three offense in yards and number one in points. Like it's definitely doable with all the weapons they have. And like also, I think we're sort of underestimating, I mean, really what might happen with this offense now that Jason Garrett's not in charge. Yeah, and I think, look, uh, Mike McCarthy, I believe, has had the number one offense by DVOA twice, if I'm remembering correctly. That's really So, um, yeah, uh, I'm looking at it now. 2011 and 2014, yep. they had the number one offense. And that's when they were, that's when they were number one in scoring points. So, I mean, like, yep. if you, if, if you were the top team in points scored per game or point, total points scored and you were the top team in DVOA, that would, that would certainly qualify as the, the victor. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like, I think there's a, I, just, I guess my point is that the ceiling is when, I mean, when you start thinking about this Cowboys offense and everything they have, the ceiling is really, really high. Oh yeah, I mean it's look they have to get their quarterback signed, and uh, if they don't do that, nothing else really matters. But look, they they did upgrade that backup quarterback situation. I mean they're paying Andy Dalton nine hundred thousand dollars more than they were going to pay Cooper Rush, and yeah. Cooper Rush, from what we've seen of him, is basically not an NFL caliber quarterback, and Andy Dalton. You know, granted, I don't think you're in how, a how many good games spot Cow- with him as how, a starter. How many games did the Cowboys win with Andy Dalton starting the full season? Okay, so let's let's talk about this because this was something that you know Sportsline had the projections that came out 
earlier this week. I think it was like, you know, they win an average of 9.3 with Dak and 8.5 with Dalton. And, you know, you, you see that kind of thing and you're like, hey, maybe they should just, you know, keep Dalton, get rid of Dak and the $30 million worth of uh, salary cap money. Um, I don't necessarily buy that quarterbacks are only worth, you know, 0.8 wins like that. Um I think that if you downgrade a quarterback, first of all, you're you're more likely to run more often, which is going to lower your floor and your ceiling as an offense. And I just think quarterbacks in general tend to be undervalued right now, even as much money as they make. Like you just look at the Seahawks, for example, they're paying Russell Wilson thirty five million dollars a year. He's making like 17 or 18 percent of the cap. I think he has considerably more than 17 or 18 percent of an effect on their ability to win football games. It's probably somewhere closer to like 40 percent. I think teams are still getting a deal on franchise quarterbacks right now. I I agree. And like, just quit effing around and pay Dak. I mean, what do you what what can he possibly want that you can't? You just don't feel like you can give him when you have the new coach and all these weapons. Just quit screwing around and pay Dak already, Jerry. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, supposedly they don't want to set a precedent with a four-year deal instead of a five-year deal because everybody else they've extended has been at least five years. Uh, I don't care. Sign the quarterback. Should have signed him last offseason. The whole reason that you're having this standoff now is because you didn't pay him what was a completely reasonable ask based on his production to date and based on the uh, the quarterback contracts that were signed already last offseason. Yep. That's another thing, too. Like People tend to talk about what a quarterback – quote-unquote, deserves on the open market. That's almost completely irrelevant in quarterback contract discussions just because assuming a certain level of competence, which Dak has absolutely reached, basically all that matters is what the most recent quarterback contract that was signed looks like. And that's especially true once you get a guy in the franchise tag. What that guy deserves has now gone completely out the window. All that matters is what he can make on three franchise tags, and that's the starting point for any deal. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. All right, the Saints at number three. Uh, does Breeze's age concern you at all? A little bit. Uh, I think that their backup quarterback situation, some people might call it an upgrade. I think if you go from a quarterback who never turns the ball over, like Breeze and like Bridgewater, to a quarterback that turns the ball over essentially at will, like Jameis Winston, it's just such a shock to the system of the offense that it changes a lot of things. Granted, Jameis has a ceiling that Teddy Bridgewater doesn't have. But, I mean, you look at the way they ran their offense last year when Breeze was out. It was, ah, again, all about ADT, those. ADT, dink and dunk, conservative, let the defense win. I mean, yeah. it's Yeah, I mean, it was all about ball control and throwing those short slants to Michael Thomas, throwing those outlet routes to Alvin Kamara and letting him make guys miss. It's, it's, it's such a different offense if you have Jameis under center, if Breeze is out for any period of time. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily concerned about his age just because so much of what they do offensively is just based on him saying, how is Michael Thomas going to be open within a second after the snap and let me throw him the ball? <laughs> um, and now they can do that, you know, with even more than just Thomas. Obviously, they have Kamara. They can do it with Manny Sanders, who is more of a, you know, quickly get open after the snap type of guy, too. You know, they can do it with Jared Cook leaking out of, uh, over the middle. They added Adam Trapman, who's another, you know, guy who could do that at tight end. Granted, first-year tight ends don't tend to have a lot of success. But the combination of, you know, Breeze's mind and decision-making, Sean Payton's design, Michael Thomas being unstoppable, the offensive line being one of the best in the league, too. Um, and then Kamara as a pass catcher and a runner out of the backfield, the way they use Latavius Murray as a compliment to him. I mean, it's just, it's an offense that should operate at peak efficiency when all of those guys are on the field. And 
we would expect that to be more often than not. All right. The Baltimore Ravens, your number two offense. They were dynamic, uh, a historically great run team in 2019. Can they do it again? I think they can. Um, you know, the way that their running game is designed is all about numbers. It's about we're going to use different formations and we're going to test you to see what decision you make at the mesh point when it's Lamar Jackson reading the defensive end, reading the defensive tackle, reading a safety, reading a linebacker. They'll read anybody on the field. Trust Jackson to make the right decision. Trust their guys up front to make the right blocks. Trust that their running backs who you've mentioned this before, guys that just run really, really well out of shotgun and out of pistol. These guys know exactly what they're doing in this style of system. Jackson knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to reading the right guy, taking off around the edge, taking off up the middle. And he won from the pocket last year, too. I mean, I don't think he's going to throw touchdowns on like 9% of his passes again like he did last year. But they have room for regression just like the Chiefs did last year and to still be a top three or four offense in the league, you know, again, it's something where everything is an absolutely perfect fit. You know, they're the type of team where a a running back in the second round, especially one where, you know, he is such a good runner out of shotgun, like you mentioned on the previous podcast. I think that makes much more sense for them than it does for other teams, especially with the stylistic fit and the fact that, again, he's probably going to take over the lead back role from Mark Ingram after the 2020 season. I mean, They're a team where if they had better pass catchers, I would have felt much better about having them potentially at number one. Okay. Um, And the number one team. Oh, oh, actually, over under, Lamar Jackson, 999.5 rushing yards. Over. Easy. Easy over. It's actually – that's what it posted it opened at, and it came down. uh, Really? Yeah. Does does that account for the possibility of playing less than 16 games, or does it only go if it's 16 uh, games? No, no, no. I I think that's based on a full season. Um, Okay. I mean, look, he ran for, what, 1,215 games last season? Yeah, I don't see – like, Pete Prisco have been having – Pete and I have been having this argument. He's like – I mean, like, Pete's not – Pete likes Lamar fine, but he's like – can he win from the pocket? It's like, well, look. Yes. Look when, at him yeah, last year. Yeah, it's like, like, yeah, A, Pete, he led the league in passing touchdowns. Okay. So, and then B, um, he doesn't, he, he's not like he's turning 32. Like he's 23 years old. He can, he's going to run like this for a couple of years. Like this is, he might start slowing down at like 27 or 28 or if he gets hurt. But I thought Lamar did a really good job protecting himself from injuries in a, last year in a way that I didn't see him do it as a rookie. Absolutely. Look, he's he knows how to avoid hits. He knows when to get out of bounds. He knows when to slide. And it's not like he's the slightest guy in the world, you know, like he's six two two twelve. That's not exactly like, you know, I'm trying to think like Robert Griffin was not nearly as, you know, well built as Lamar Jackson is. Yeah, absolutely not. Lamar Jackson's much more, much more built. All right. Number one team, the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh <laughs> I know you don't like running backs early, but, man, it's hard not to like Clyde Edward-Tolaire fitting in with that offense. Do the Chiefs have a weakness? It might be just the interior of the offensive line, you know, especially if they have injuries. Uh, you know, you saw last year how their offensive line got affected, uh, specifically when Eric Fisher went out for, you know, a decent portion of the season. And then they obviously lost a guard for a decent amount of time as well. They drafted Lucas Niang as a backup offensive lineman. Uh, this year in the third round, they they uh, they signed another. They signed Daryl Williams uh, in free agency to be a backup on the interior offensive line too. And you know, there's just so much speed 
on the perimeter. Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Miko Hardman, you know, even Demarcus Robinson's like the slowest guy of their wide receiver core. He ran like a four or five in the 40. Travis Kelsey, one of the most athletic tight ends in the league. Mahomes can essentially do whatever he wants on any given play. Andy Reid, probably the best play caller in the league. You know, Damian Williams, I wrote about again before the Super Bowl last year. You know, he was the running back on the pass heaviest team in the league. And A, he didn't care because like, who would care? Uh, based on the way their offense is run. He was also just such a good fit because he's a good pass catcher. He started off as a third down back. He's a really good pass protector, which is something that I talked to, you know, him and their offensive line about at the Super Bowl too. And them, they and Mahomes had just such trust in him to, you know, know the protection scheme and make the right block, when, whether it was a guy coming off the edge or coming, you know, up the middle. He, he just fit really well in terms of what they wanted to do. And then, look, you know, Claudio Edwards-Solaire, I have no doubt that he is going to be a really good player for them. I just don't see why when you are, again, the best offense in the league, you have the best quarterback, best player in the league, you would take a player who is even 1% likely to take the ball out of his hands at any time. Granted, Edward Tillaire is a really good pass catcher, so that's good. But if, I think if it encourages you to run more than they did last season when they were even still when they were the pass heaviest team in the league, it's just not the most efficient use of resources. Like I would have even rather had an offensive lineman if you wanted to improve your running game, but He's going to be really good. Like the dude is a perfect fit, as you've mentioned, for what they want to do. And, you know, they have so many guys that are going to draw the defense all the way down the field. You know, Sammy Watkins and Nicole Hardman as the second and third fastest guys in your offense is completely ridiculous. I mean, it's an offense where, again, the, the only real weakness is the interior offensive line. And because of Mahomes' skill set and because of the way Reed schemes guys open, I mean, it basically is like they have no weaknesses. Yeah, they're freaking incredible. All right. Oh, man, I love the Chiefs. They are fun to watch, and they could win a lot of Super Bowls. But Super Bowls are hard to win. Well, we shall see. Uh, Dubes, thanks, buddy. It's been fun. Always yeah, good to chat with you. Uh, anything you want to plug other than uh, see at JADubin5 on Twitter? And uh, and obviously check out your work on CBSSports.com. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got the offense rankings I suppose are up now. Defense rankings going up tomorrow. Uh, Get to type. Sure yeah, I'm sure I'll have some more stuff uh, throughout the rest of the off season. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I love talking about offenses, so that's really nice. I, I I love talking about this kind of stuff. Great stuff. All right, buddy. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Okay. Picture this: It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.